Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm glad you're back. Wasn't sure, but thank you. Thanks for being back. If you missed last week, um, this is the sin circle, and um, you're in it. So that's kind of the Cliff Notes version of last week's message. We're studying from Romans chapter one, where the Apostle Paul talks us through a list of the unrighteous, people who are in the sin circle. As he does this, he uses the pronoun they, talks about they. In other words, it's being read to a church in Rome, but he's not saying you, you who are listening. He's talking about they, they who are not in the church, they. And if you want to get church people kind of worked up, getting applause, you talk about they's. You talk about the they's. And you're like, oh yeah, let's go. Let them have it, Paul. They need to hear the truth, Paul. But he's kind of setting us up because he's gonna transition here from Romans one to Romans two, and he's gonna change pronouns from they to you. And Paul starts off saying they, they are envious, and they are greedy, and they are deceitful, and they gossip, and they slander, and they, they're sexually immoral, and they are arrogant, and they're boastful. And then in chapter one, he uses the word they like 15 times in those verses. And then chapter two, he says like, what are you, what are you clapping about, y'all? And he uses the pronoun you about 15 times in the, those five verses. So he switches from they to you because he wants to make sure you understand you're they. You are they, that we're all in this circle together. You might be unrighteous, you might be self-righteous, but we are, all, we are all sinners. And so chapter two, he's gonna speak a little bit more directly to what we might think of as church people, right? Like the people who come every week and they put maybe their confidence in the fact that they keep certain rules or follow certain rituals, the moralists, the do-gooders, and he's gonna help those people recognize that we're all in this together. There's not any real difference, that we're all sinners. And, and for him, as he preaches to the people in Rome there, they're Jews and they're Gentiles. And, and the Jews had this tendency to wanna to put the Gentiles inside the circle, but kind of keep themselves out of it because of all their religious background. But he wants to make it clear, like you might be a Jew or you might be Gentile, you might be a Greek, you might be a barbarian, you might be Democrat, you might be Republican, you, you, you might be a churchgoer, you might not be a churchgoer, but we're all, we're all in the same circle. We all, need, we all need Jesus. And it's important for Paul to make this clear because in chapter three, he's gonna get to the gospel. He's gonna talk to us about the gospel. Uh, it's good news because it's a cure for our sin, but before it's a cure, it has to be a diagnosis. The gospel is a diagnosis and it's a cure. And so he needs everybody to understand their need for the cure, that we're all sinners. A few weeks ago, I baptized a friend of mine who is a world famous tattoo artist. He's the only friend I have who's a world famous tattoo artist. And I got to know him when he reached out to me uh, on Instagram and our, our Southeast Online team has also stayed connected with him. And, and he shared some of his story 
that uh, he was sitting in a jail cell and someone walked by and slid a book I wrote underneath the door to him, doesn't know who, didn't really say anything with it, just slid a book I wrote underneath the door. He didn't have anything else to do and so he started reading it. And, and before that, his experience with, with Christians wasn't just indifferent. It's not that he was just indifferent to Christianity. He was hostile towards it. In fact, when he'd gotten married, he, he made the person marrying them remove any reference to God out of the message, right? Like he lived and worked in, in some places that had some darkness. And so his only real exposure to Christians were people that were hateful, who tried to shut down his tattoo business, people who were condemning, maybe wrote angry letters and messages and posts. But in jail, he started to pray. And one of the things he prayed was, God, would you send somebody into my life that would tell me about you? Would you, would you send somebody to me that will help me understand you, help me understand Jesus? And not long after that, he was back in his tattoo shop and a lady walks in and she's angry because of something vulgar that was on the sign outside of his tattoo shop, and, and she was offended. She came in yelling and told him they were going to hell, that God was disgusted with them. And when she said, God, my friend's like, wait, wait, you, you know about God? Would you tell me more about him? I've been praying that someone would come and tell me more about God and Jesus. And if you wanna freak a lady like that out, <laughs> that's what you say. Because she was freaked out, she stormed out. She didn't understand that she was in the circle. And she needed to understand that she is they, that we're in this together. And so that's what Romans one and two is doing. It's making sure that she knows you're in here too. We all are, you might be unrighteous, you might be self-righteous, we're all in this same situation. We need Jesus to save us. So chapter two, verse one, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. And maybe you hear that and you're immediately defensive. Well, that's one of the ways you know you think you're outside the circle. Because when Paul says you do the same things, you're like, no, I don't. I don't do this and this and this, and you're focused on what you don't do on that list instead of the things you do do, right? And you judge the people who do those things. Verse two, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth so that when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? The fact that you would judge others without recognizing the judgment you deserve, that's the problem. Right, it's not that it's wrong to judge what's right and wrong. Clearly, Paul has no problem calling sin a sin. That's not an issue with him. The problem is that you think you can do it from outside the circle. That's the problem. And your self-righteous arrogance, it doesn't justify you, it indicts you. So that the more you think you're not in the circle, the more you actually are. Verse four, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. His kindness is intended to draw you closer to him. And a sure sign of self-righteousness is the person who feels entitled to God's kindness and goodness in their life. Like they think God owes that to them. So God, I'm gonna make a list of all the things I do for you and all the things I've given up for you and I'm gonna compare myself to these other people 
just so you get some perspective, God, on how good I really am, and then maybe you can start holding up your end of the deal and bless me the way I deserve to be blessed. That's a self-righteous pride, and it's a dangerous place to be where you think God's kindness means that you and God are all good. God's patient, he's kind. It's meant to lead you to repentance, but instead, it's causing you to feel entitled. Do not mistake God's kindness for approval. Verse five, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. The Greek word stubbornness here, sclerosis. We use that as a medical term, right? Talk about the hardening of the arteries. And, and so here, it's not just this physical condition, it's a spiritual condition, a spiritual sclerosis, a spiritual hardening of the heart that happens when you think you're outside the circle. Because when you think you're outside the circle, you don't recognize sin that needs to be repented of. And the longer you go without repenting of sin, the harder your heart becomes. Verse six, God will repay each person according to what they have done. And notice this is in quotes because he's quoting from the Old Testament. This was the Old Testament approach to your relationship with God. That he's gonna judge each person according to what they've done, according to what they haven't done. And if you want to, if you wanna face judgment that way, you can do that, but good luck with it. And what he's doing here is he's, again, he's setting us up for chapter three. You have to see this as a whole kind of court case. Or chapter one, he's indicting the unrighteous at the end there. Chapter two, he's indicting the self-righteous. And in chapter three, he's gonna say, no one's righteous. Chapter three, verse 10, no one is righteous, no, not one. And until we understand that, we miss out on the good news of the gospel. So I just wanna talk to you for a few minutes, those of you who think of yourself, although you might not say it to others and probably wouldn't even say it to yourself, you think of yourself as being outside the circle. And when I do this here, I'm gonna not use the pronoun they, I'm gonna use the pronoun you, because really it's us that need to be reminded of this. First, you judge others by what they've done, but you judge yourself by what you haven't done. You judge others by the sin they've committed, but you judge yourself by the sin you haven't committed. You're not self-aware enough to recognize the sins you're guilty of, and so you find other people who struggle with things different than you, you judge them for their sin, and then you feel good about yourself because you don't commit those sins. And Jesus is constantly addressing this, and, and the Sermon on the Mount is a good example where he's just kind of widening the circle, and so he, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, anyone who looks at someone lustfully has committed adultery in their heart. What's he doing there? He's like, get, in, get inside the circle. You, you, you're judging others, but your heart reveals the same thing. And he says, look, you, the, the law says don't commit murder. But it, Jesus says, I tell you, if you've got hate in your heart for someone else, eh, you're in the circle too. And he's holding up a mirror so that people can get an accurate view of their own sin so that they can be saved, so that they can experience forgiveness and freedom and grace. But first, you gotta recognize your need for it. And so he holds up a mirror and says, this is what you really look like. And that's hard for us. Like increasingly, I would say that we prefer culturally and within churches, we, we want somebody to hold up a mirror that makes us look better than we really do. I, I remember this episode on Shark Tank where the people brought in um, 
a product they called the skinny mirror. And it used curved glass optical illusion to make the average person look that they look like they'd lost 15 to 20 pounds. Like they were 15 to 20 pounds skinnier than they, they really are. And so they were marketing this as a, as a mirror. Who's not gonna want that? But what they found was that r- retailers loved this mirror because they could put up the skinny mirror in their store. People come into their store, they try on the clothes, and they're like, is it me? Or do I look especially good in these clothes? And so they buy the clothes and then they wanna come back. Who wouldn't wanna come back to that store and look in that mirror? And, and I think this is what we've kind of settled for oftentimes culturally and, and even in our churches. Like, hey, look, I'll come. But when I come, I want you to hold up a mirror that makes me feel better about myself, even if it's not true. And then we start convincing everyone around us that that's really what we look like. And we don't want anybody to say, well, that's that's not really true. That's not really an accurate representation. And Paul warns Timothy about this in chapter four, verse three. He says, the time will come where people will wanna follow their own desires and they'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears wanna hear. Uh, we increasingly just want to surround ourselves with people who will hold up a mirror that makes us feel better about ourselves. So that way we can stay outside the circle. Self-righteousness is unrighteousness, and it always comes out of a lack of self-awareness. It always comes out of a lack of self-awareness. So let me just ask you a few questions to help us become a little more self-aware in this area. Number one, Am I more focused or more passionate about people's badness or God's goodness? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Christian churchgoer, man, they are passionate about how bad people are. But it doesn't seem like they're passionate about how good God is. Which are you more passionate about? If someone asks me, how do I know I'm a Christian? Do I talk about what I do? Or do I talk about what's been done for me? Question number three, do I classify sins in categories of seriousness? Well, these are felonies, these are misdemeanors, and I mean, I've got some misdemeanors, but. Question number four, do you feel better about yourself by comparing yourself to others? Do you justify yourself spiritually in your heart or in your relationship with God by comparing yourself to other people? Question number five, am I listening to this sermon and thinking, I'm sure glad he's letting all the self-righteous people have it? It's a pretty good indication that you're in that group. And uh, we're not always self-aware. And so Paul is setting up our need for the saving grace of, of Jesus. But he knows it begins with us having an accurate view of our sinfulness, an accurate view of ourselves, which requires some self-reflection, some self-awareness. I was listening to a podcast on uh, TED Talk Radio called Screen Time, and and they were citing some different studies that showed the unintended consequences that come from the amount of screen time that we practice, that our minds are constantly distracted, constantly occupied. You don't really need to have those studies in front of you to be like, yeah, that's probably true. But the connection they made was this, that the the more screen time we have, the less self-aware we tend to be. And the challenge with having a lack of self-awareness is the more you are not self-aware, the more unaware you are of your lack of self-awareness, right? Like it just feeds itself. And so there's this direct correlation between, if I could put it this way, the external input we receive and the internal reflection that we do. 
There's this connection between the external input we receive and the internal reflection that we, we do. And so a lot of the time, times that we used to do some internal reflection now is a time for external input. It used to be, you might lay in bed, you can't sleep, you think about your day, your decisions, your relationships, what do you need to do different tomorrow? It's a time of awareness. Now, it tends to be a time of external input. Can't sleep, let me start scrolling. I was reading about this new product that's a shower magnet. So you can take your phone in the shower with you and watch YouTube while you take a shower, right? Like we're just being robbed of our opportunities for internal reflection because we're surrounded by external input. And I I would just say we've never been more aware of what's happening around us and less less aware of what's happening in us, which leads to a lack of self-awareness. This weekend is um, first weekend of Lent. And so the next six weeks leading up to Easter, for many of you, you grew up observing Lent where you give up something, fast from something as a way to prepare your hearts for Easter. It's really meant to be a time of self-reflection, self-awareness, a time of repentance, preparing your heart to remember the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Could I suggest for the next six weeks that you and your family or you and your friends, you you practice this um, less external input. I don't know what that would look like for you, but I'll give you a few suggestions. Um, Perhaps you would say, I'm not gonna have my phone in my bedroom at all for the next six weeks. Or perhaps you would say, I'm gonna turn off my notifications or I'm gonna suspend my social media apps for the next six weeks or my YouTube and TikTok. And if you do that, you're gonna find that less External input means more internal reflection, which leads to greater self-awareness, which drives you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to this understanding of your need for grace and forgiveness and for help. Secondly, I would say that those who think of themselves as outside the circle pass judgment on people whose sin struggles are different from their own. I'm gonna judge someone because what they struggle with is different than what I struggle with. Again, Jesus was always addressing this in the Gospels. And so in John 8 would be an example where Jesus is teaching early in the morning in the courtyard. A group of Pharisees, religious leaders, comes in, throws a woman at his feet. The Bible says she was caught in the act of adultery. They say to Jesus, the leaders say, the law says we stone her, what do you say? And they all think of themselves as standing outside the circle and they've got their rocks and they're ready to go. And Jesus kneels down and he starts writing something in the dirt. I'm not sure what he was writing. Some commentators suggest that maybe he was writing the sins of those leaders in the dirt, maybe with some names attached to it. But Jesus says to them, if you're without sin, you can cast the first stone. And whatever he was writing made them drop those stones because they drop him and they walk away and Jesus is left with this woman and he says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you, go and leave your life of sin. Still calls it a sin. He says, you you need to make these changes, but it's not from this place of condemnation, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so she's Romans one, the religious leaders are Romans two. Get in the circle. Luke 18, another example, Jesus tells a parable of the the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee culturally would clearly have been outside the circle, right? Like he followed all the rules. He had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. And he makes a case in this parable, the religious leader does, that he follows laws uh, in the Old Testament that aren't even there. 
Like he goes even further than what the law states. The, the tax collector would be in the center of the circle as a sinner because culturally he wasn't just a sinner. He was someone who sinned for a living. Like that was his job. Like it's on his card, sinner. And, and so the religious leaders, Romans 2, the tax collector is Romans 1, but the story ends with Jesus saying, you're all in the circle. In fact, he condemns the religious leader and he commends the tax collector because the tax collector cries out in humility and says, God, forgive me, God, help me. And so he was always making the circle bigger. And when we, we understand that it's all of us, it changes how we relate to God. We're not entitled, we're, we're grateful. We, we don't come to him with a, a spirit of you owe me. Instead, we come to him humble. It changes how we relate to God, but it also changes how we relate to other people. We have a compassion for them. We don't think of it as a, as a them versus us, but we recognize that all of us are they. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was um, in a bit of a hurry. I was, the roads were a bit icy and I got in a small accident and I cracked the front right bumper of the car and it broke the front right headlight. What made this especially embarrassing was that um, it was my mom's car. And I'd let somebody borrow my truck, so I was driving my mom's car. And uh, uh, you know, it's a humbling thing to be a man in your 40s who has to call their mom and say, hey mom, I wrecked your car. <laughs> she took it out of my allowance and it's fine. <laughs> We're good. So less than 24 hours later, I get a uh, call from one of my daughters telling me that she was in an accident, that she's fine, and the car she was driving belongs to me. <laughs> and true story, she cracked the front right bumper and broke the front right headlight. Question is, how did I respond to her? Well, I had a lot of compassion for her. Right, like if it had happened a couple days before, I would have been frustrated, maybe a little exasperated. I would have been like, come on, you gotta pay attention. And that, that wasn't how I responded because I knew I was in the circle, right? Like it had just happened to me. So how I approached her, my spirit towards her was tender, it was compassion. I didn't tell her what, I didn't tell her what I did. Like I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't gonna go that far. But, but I had, a different approach to her. And this is one of the ways you know you're, you think of yourself as outside the circle, is that when someone comes to you and they confess or they're caught in some kind of a sin struggle, your spirit is not one of compassion and grace. Instead, your spirit is one of, well, it serves you right. Your spirit is one of, that's what you get. It's because you don't understand that you are in the same position as they are. Well, some of that comes because we begin to think that certain sins are so much worse than others. I appreciate how C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, Mere Christianity. He speaks of his annoyance with people who have this perception, with believers who have this perception that sexual sin is somehow the worst of all sins. He says, I wanna make it as clear as I possibly can that the center of immorality is not sexual sin. He says, the center of immorality is pride. And that might lead to sexual sin, or that might surface in sexual sin, or that might surface in this self-righteous hypocrisy, but it's pride. He goes on to say, the sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all the sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. They are the pleasure of putting others in their place. 
putting people in the wrong, and the, the pleasure of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting, the pleasures of power and hatred. And then he writes, this is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute, than, as only C.S. Lewis can say. But of course, it's better to be neither. Yeah, it's better to not be a prig or a prostitute. Like. But you hear what he's saying. Sometimes the hardest people to save are church people because they don't think they need the cure. Let me put it this way. If I said to you, I'm gonna put this on the screen. If I said to you, I've got good news for bad people and bad news for good people, how would you respond to that? Like, what's your first response? I've got good news for bad people, bad news for good people. And some of you would be like, what's the, what's the good news? Like, you're excited because you recognize the fact that there's some bad in you. But when you hear that, if your first response is, oh, and what's the bad news? Oh, this is the bad news. Like you're, <laughs> you're not good. That's the bad news. But the good news is I've got good news for bad people, right? Like we're all, we're all in that same place. And until we understand that, we're not in a position to receive the grace that God wants us to live with. J.B. Lightfoot put it this way, he said, the blackest of sin is not righteousness violated, but it's mercy despised. The blackest of sin is not righteousness violated, it's mercy despised. The blackest of sin is the person who stands outside the circle, judging all the unrighteous people inside the circle. And Jesus comes and says, I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll give grace to you. I'm gonna give you a second chance. I'm gonna give you a new beginning. I'm gonna give you peace that passes understanding. I'm gonna give you the assurance of salvation. And you're like, no, nah, I'm good. I got this. It's the blackest of sin. That's the most dangerous position to be in spiritually because you don't know how much you need his grace. And I would just be honest with you and tell you that there are plenty of times where I've kind of approached it this way, kind of one foot in, one foot out, kind of an awareness of my own sin, but just this determination to earn my way out of the circle through my own goodness or my own righteousness, or at least to be perceived this way, right? Like one of the ways I know I'm in this position is when I start getting really focused on you and what you think and wanting to hold a mirror up and try to convince you this is actually what I look like. And instead of just stepping inside of it and saying, look, my only hope is Jesus. My only confidence is in him. Like there, there's nothing that's gonna save me but but his blood and his grace and his sacrifice. And so we're gonna sing here in a moment. And as we do, we just, we just wanna be reminded that this good news, right, that he doesn't just leave us here, that he washes us clean. He removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that we receive his righteousness. But for us to receive it, we've gotta accept the diagnosis. And so if you wanna to talk to someone about that, you can go to our next step room over here while we're worshiping. We'd love to visit with you more. 
or maybe you're ready to become a part of our church family where we're not gonna just hold up mirrors that make us all look good, but we're gonna speak truth and love and we're gonna help each other recognize our need for Jesus. We'd love to, love to have you as part of our family. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for your forgiveness that you wash us clean. I thank you, God, that there's freedom for all who would raise their hand and identify themselves as sinners, that you make us saints because of Jesus. So I'm excited, God, for these next chapters that we're gonna study together where we just get to celebrate your grace that's been made available to us freely for all of us who put our trust in, in you, Jesus. I pray, God, this would be a church where we, we stand inside the circle, wash clean, hearts full of gratitude for the grace that you've shown us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.